Indeed, there is no one whom we would rather walk with us through the challenges and the joys and the circumstances of life than our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are His, then we know that He is always with us. You know, it doesn't take a genius to know that uh, this world is filled with trouble. This world is filled with tension and hostility. There are roughly 7 billion people who currently live on this earth representing various backgrounds and experiences, various families and circumstances and communities and nations and ethnicities and religious groups and political persuasions. And so no two people approach a given situation with exactly the same perspective. We add to that the fact that sin has affected every single man, woman, boy, and girl to walk on this earth. A great many of perspectives and desires and opinions are self-centered and self-serving with really no interest in the well-being of others. People fight. Families fight. Nations fight. Religious groups disagree over what is true. Friends fight. Sometimes the fighting even gets ugly. Sometimes believers, sometimes Christians are even the objects of attack. And not only has sin affected our relationships with other people, but sin has also had devastating consequences on creation itself. Our bodies age. They hurt. We experience pain and heartache and disease and decay. And even in creation itself, we see devastating disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, car wrecks. In this world, there is trouble. And in this world, everyone who ever lives on this earth will experience hurt, will experience pain, will experience Hostility and tragedy and heartache, perhaps even opposition and persecution. But friends and fellow believers in Jesus Christ, we don't approach these situations in the same way and with the same perspective as the rest of the world. For we have a hope that extends far beyond this world. So Paul is writing to believers in the first century in Rome. And he writes to the Roman believers and he, he begins to recount some of these things, some of these difficulties that he is facing and some of the difficulties that they are also facing, suffering, persecution, famine, danger, sword. And he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things and all of these difficulties? What can we say about these things? He says then, If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, we live in a fallen world. We live in oftentimes an evil and wicked world, but God is still in control. And whoever and whatever we might face in this life doesn't even compare to knowing and walking with and serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We invite you to open scripture with me this morning to the first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis will be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning as we continue the message series that we started last week titled When God Writes 
your story. And as we continue tracing Joseph's life, we'll see that he faced some pretty difficult situations, some challenging circumstances. But the more we look at his life, the more it becomes evident that even so, God was writing his story. So as you find your place in Genesis chapter 37, let me invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 37, I'll begin reading in verse 12. Now Joseph's brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this, to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, another brother, said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do ask now that you would guide us by your spirit and understanding the truths of this passage, timeless biblical truths that apply to our lives, even today as believers. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. This is a fascinating story, is it not? This is a story that perhaps many of you are familiar with, and this is a story that none of us could could make up. If you love a good story, and who doesn't love a good story? Everyone loves a good story. Let me invite, let me encourage you to spend some time in the biblical narratives, such as those found here in the book of Genesis. These are good stories. But we don't just read these stories because they're good stories. We read them because they're God's Word, because they're found in the collection of Scriptures. They're found in the Bible. And we believe the Bible's own testimony concerning itself 
But these stories portray truths of God that are informative and instructive and correcting and guiding for us as believers even today. However, we don't approach this story or any other Old Testament story just like its original readers did. We, we live in a different era. We live in a different epoch of salvation history, so to speak. We live post the greatest event in human history, the coming and the dying and the rising of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we read this and any other text of Scripture leading up to the coming of Christ through that lens. But even so, we want to know what are the truths that God has for us here, even in this first book of, of the Bible, it teaches us important truths about who God is and who we are and sets the trajectory for how we read the rest of Scripture. And so one truth that I think we see right here from Genesis chapter 37 in Joseph's life is that God's faithful people may suffer persecution from the wicked. God's faithful people may suffer persecution from the wicked. Now remember what has taken place just prior to this episode. In the verses leading up to this, we read about Jacob and his 12 sons. Remember, of those sons, one of those sons stands out in Jacob's mind. That is Joseph. He is his father's favorite. Jacob clearly loves Joseph more than his other sons, and he makes no bones about it. This is, this is knowledge to the family. In fact, he gives them a, a special gift, an ornate robe, elsewhere described as a coat of many colors. We really don't know exactly what that looked like. This is a very rare word in the scriptures, but in any event, this was something special. This was something valuable. This was something that distinguished Joseph from the rest of his brothers in the eyes of his father. And add to that, remember last week, we saw that Joseph had these two dreams, two dreams in which his brothers bowed down to him and acknowledged that he was their superior. He shares these with his brothers, and of course, his brothers don't like it. They become jealous of him. Their jealousy turns into hatred, and here we read about a murder plot to take his very life. Before we balk at what they did, as if their sin is just beyond anyone else, how could they possibly do something like this? We need to wrestle with our own tendencies that we might bring to this story. Let's try to understand this for a moment from their perspective. They have a brother, Joseph, who, not because of anything he's done, simply because of circumstances, is their father's favorite. Their father is clear about this, that he loves Joseph in a way that he doesn't love the rest of them. And Joseph has now had these dreams and shared those. If these come true, then Joseph, for whatever reason, is going to have a, a privileged position and status that, that they are not going to have. He's been given this special gift, this ornate robe, as an expression of daddy's favoritism. And now the rest of the brothers have been sent away. They've been sent some 50 miles to the north to find better grazing ground for the flocks. And Joseph, for some reason, perhaps another expression of Jacob's favoritism, has been left at home. And then Jacob sends Joseph out to check on the brothers, to make sure things are going well with them. And we'll remember from 
verses, the story just prior to this, that Joseph had come home once before from the fields giving a bad report about his brother's behavior. Now he's been sent out again to check on them, perhaps in their minds, appearing as if he's been sent out to supervise them. And here he comes on the horizon. And what do you know? He's, he's wearing that dreaded symbol of their father's favoritism. So their jealousy turns to hatred, turns to a discussion of getting rid of him entirely so they no longer have to deal with him until Reuben, the eldest son, steps in and says, wait a minute, let's not, let's not take his life. Let's just leave him here in one of these deep pits, this well, this cistern. Perhaps Reuben is trying to get back into good graces with his father after an earlier recorded sin in chapter 35, or perhaps he's just the eldest trying to display some sense of responsibility. And then another brother, an older brother, steps in Judah and says, no, let's not take his life. After all, he's, he's our brother. If we, if we get rid of him, we'll have nothing to gain from that. Let's, let's see how we can get something out of this. And so sells him to a caravan coming through as as a slave. Joseph here, just like before, is not portrayed or conveyed in any negative light. He's not being punished for disobedience or faithlessness. Rather, he once again is being portrayed as a faithful son. He's doing what his father has asked him to do. Once again, he's a victim of his father's favoritism. But his brothers, on the other hand, are portrayed as envious, jealous, conniving, wicked. So Joseph experiences opposition and persecution, perhaps to some degree because of his own faithfulness. And don't miss the callousness of these brothers. They throw their brother into a pit, left to fend for himself, and the very next verse, verse 25, they sit down and they have their lunch. This is deep sin. This is wickedness. This is hatred and and persecution. And friends, we may not be able to identify with this very well, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ living around the world right now who can identify with this kind of opposition and persecution because of their faith in Christ. In fact, many of our brothers and sisters around the world live in what's been termed as hostile or uh, restricted nations. They're likely to experience opposition and persecution because of their public faith in in Christ. I would encourage you to visit persecution.com, a website put out by the Voice of the Martyrs, an organization that helps to bring awareness to these things and encourages other believers to know how they might better pray for brothers and sisters who are persecuted in other parts of of the world. But the reality is, if you are going to declare allegiance to Jesus Christ, if you are going to follow Him, then you and I can expect criticism for faithfulness to God. We can expect or we can anticipate criticism for faithfulness to God. Perhaps we can't identify with the idea of parental favoritism or sibling rival. No doubt, I'm sure many of us can, but but if we are going to follow Christ, 
If we are going to be faithful in pursuing Him and knowing Him and living for Him and living as salt and light in this world, then we can expect hostility in this world. The Scriptures are clear about this. In fact, hold your place here in Genesis 37. Let me invite you to turn far to the right to the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul recounts this truth to to young Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Scripture reads this way. Paul says, in fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. The reality, friends, is that the world has opposed those who seek the Lord and serve the Lord, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It has always been this way, and it will continue to be this way until the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, friends, in the meantime, God's faithful people can expect the wicked to use deception and to cause grief. That's faithful people who walk with Him and seek Him and serve Him can't expect the wicked in the world to use deception and, and to cause grief. That's exactly what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 13. While evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse, bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's exactly what takes place right here with Joseph among his brothers in Genesis chapter 37. So look back at Genesis 37 with me, verse 29. As we pick up the story. So remember that Joseph has been sold to these merchants traveling through. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the cistern that they had originally put Joseph in. And saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. In other words, he began to grieve and to mourn. For whatever reason, he didn't know that they had sold him into slavery. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Verse 31, then they got Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, and dipped the the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. No longer our brother, he's your son. Is this your son's robe? He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And so his father wept for him. Events of this story, now this story continues to unfold, reinforces that Old saying that sin always takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. For one sin led to 
another. At first, it's jealousy of Joseph. It becomes hatred of Joseph. It turns to a desire to get rid of of Joseph. Had Reuben and Judah not intervened, then in our day, in our terminology, these brothers would have likely been charged with first-degree murder, with capital murder. But greed interferes, gets in the way, and instead they, they pawn him off. They sell him to gain something for themselves. But that's not the end of the story. Now they have to deal with their father. And so they contrive this cover-up story. They take his robe and they slaughter an animal and put blood on the robe and take it home and let their father come to his own conclusions, sending him into a cycle of uncontrollable grief for his beloved son. And don't miss the irony here. A coat is brought home. A goat is killed to deceive Jacob who had years earlier taken his brother Esau's garment, his coat, and deceived his own father Isaac with the skin of two goats. This is deep, deep sin. Yet this, friends, is how sin works. This is how sin operates even today. So based upon this, let's acknowledge the depth of human depravity. Let's acknowledge the depth of human depravity, of human sin apart from God. It's no secret that this world is filled with evil, filled with wickedness, and sin, if left unchecked, continues to spiral further and further out of control. And we'll see this, another example of this next week, in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 38. But even so, as believers in the God of Scripture, the one and only God, we have hope. There is still hope. Though sin has lasting consequences, knowing God has far greater reward. So let's find hope in God's eternal plans. Let's acknowledge the depth of human depravity, but let's find a hope. There is hope in God's eternal plans. Though we face trouble and hardship and opposition, disease and death and all sorts of tragedies and difficulties in this world, we have a perspective that is unlike the rest of the world. We have a perspective that is not like other believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul speaks of this perspective. And there he says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart as Christians. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, the material, the physical, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So as we face challenges and hurts, trouble, hardship, heartache in this life, whatever it may be, potential persecution, We do so with a perspective that the sovereign God, the great I am, holds the world in his hands and he is with us and he loves us and he is working for our good and for his glory. And even here at the end of this chapter, at the end of Genesis chapter 37, as dark as the days look for Joseph, there's a glimmer of hope right here. So turn there with me. Genesis chapter 37, final verse of the story, verse 36. Meanwhile... The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, 
one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. On first reading, that appears to be just another detail for us in the story, but I think this is intentional because as we know the rest of the story, this, this is not just any person that Joseph is serving. He's no ordinary slave in Egypt. He is serving Potiphar, the king's captain of the guard. He's serving one of the highest ranking officials in the land. And so what his brothers intended for harm, God intended for good. Even though his brothers attended to oppose him, God was working through these circumstances in ways that they could not see to bring about the very fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Things were not as they appeared. And friends, things are not always as they appear. For despite circumstances in this world, God is in control. God's plans and God's purposes will continue in spite of evil. That's comforting for those who know and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plans and God's purposes will continue in spite of evil. We could say in spite of sin. We could say in spite of hardship and tragedy and trouble and opposition, God's plans and God's purposes will continue. So maybe you and I cannot identify with this persecution element so much in Joseph's life, but perhaps circumstances in your life seem a bit out of your control like they were in Joseph's life. And if so, I want you to hear, I want you to hear from the word of God, truths from God's word this morning, that that you have a God, the only God, the God of the ages, the great I am who loves you and who knows you and who values you and who cherishes you and desires to write the days of your life, to write the story of your life as you seek Him and as you serve Him. The world may oppose the faithful, but God is on the throne and He is often using circumstances, though they appear bleak, for the good of His people and the glory of His name. Church, let me urge you today to continue seeking and to continue serving Jesus Christ faithfully because though the faithful encounter opposition, God's will for them prevails. With the faithful encounter opposition in this life, God's will for His people prevails. It will prevail. Though the wicked oppose, God is working for good. Friends, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I don't know what family circumstances or life circumstances have come your way. Maybe you are feeling, maybe you're dealing with job loss or cancer treatments or the loss of a child or crumbling marriage or a host of other difficult circumstances. But know that God is with you and that he knows you and that he knows what lies ahead great God of heaven and earth, the God who has come to us to redeem us and to restore us through Jesus Christ is a God who who knows our days, who knows our future, and who goes with us writing our story for His glory. Father, I pray that, that You would be glorified in, in our lives, the lives of Your people, 
Father, I pray that we would seek you and serve you, acknowledging that you alone are God, that you rule and you reign, and through Jesus you have allowed a way for us to be forgiven and restored to right fellowship with you. Father, we thank you that you, that you call us our children, your sons and, and daughters, and you invite us to approach you through the blood of Christ as our Father. We thank you that you are near us, that you are with us, that you guide us. So, Father, I pray that we would be reminded even this morning as we conclude our time of worship and in just a few minutes go our separate ways, would you continue to remind us of the gospel as we think of the greatest story, the the greatest turn and change of circumstances where you used what what was ugly and rebellious, your own people who had rebelled against you, and you turned those circumstances for great good by coming to us and rescuing us from sin and darkness that we might know you and walk with you and live forever with you. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel. Father, we thank you for your church. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us now as we respond to the truths of your word to do so with humble hearts, clear minds, and a faith that trusts in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.